0: Section sixteen of Three Essays on Religion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Three Essays on Religion by John Stuart Mill. Theism, Section Eight. It will be said, however, that if these be violations of law, their law is violated every time that an outward effect is produced by a voluntary act of a human being. Human volition is constantly modifying natural phenomena, not by violating their laws, but by using their laws. Why may not divine volition do the same? The power of volition over phenomena is itself a law, and one of the earliest known and acknowledged laws of nature it is true that human will exercises power over objects in general indirectly through the direct power which it possesses only over the human muscles god however has direct power not merely over one thing but over all the objects which he has made there is therefore no more a supposition of violation of law in supposing that events are produced prevented or modified by god's action than in the supposition of their being produced prevented or modified by man's action both are equally in the course of nature both equally consistent with what we know of the government of all things by law. Those who thus argue are mostly believers in free will and maintain that every human volition originates a new chain of causation of which it is itself the commencing link, not connected by invariable sequence with any anterior fact. Even therefore, if a design interposition did constitute a breaking in upon the connected chain of events, By the introduction of a new originating cause without root in the past this would be no reason for discrediting it since every human act of volition does precisely the same if the one is a breach of law so are the others in fact the reign of law does not extend to the origination of volition those who dispute the free will theory and regard volition as no exception to the universal law of cause and effect may answer that volitions do not interrupt the chain of causation but carry it on the connection of cause and effect being of just the same nature between motive and act as between a combination of physical antecedents and physical consequent, but this whether true or not does not really affect the argument for the interference of human will with the course of nature is only not an exception to law when we include among laws the relation of motive to volition and by the same rule interference by the divine will would not be an exception either since we cannot but suppose the deity in every one of his acts to be determined by motives the alleged analogy therefore holds good but what it proves is only what i have from the first maintained that divine intervention with nature could be proved if we had the same sort of evidence for it which we have for human interferences the question of antecedent improbability only arises because divine interposition is not certified by the direct evidence of perception but is always matter of inference and more or less of speculative inference and a little consideration will show that in these circumstances the antecedent presumption against the truth of the inference is extremely strong when the human will interferes to produce any physical phenomenon except the movements of the human body it does so by the employment of means and is obliged to employ such means as are by their own physical properties sufficient to bring about the effect divine interference by hypothesis proceeds in a different manner from this it produces its effect without means or with such as are in themselves insufficient in the first case all the physical phenomena except the first bodily movement are produced in strict conformity to physical causation while the first movement is treated by positive observation to the cause the volition which produced it In the other case, the event is supposed not to have been produced at all through physical causation, while there is no direct evidence to connect it with any volition. The ground on which it is ascribed to a volition is only negative, because there is no other apparent way of accounting for its existence. But in this merely speculative explanation, there is always another hypothesis possible, viz. that the event may have been produced by physical causes in a manner not apparent. It may either be due to a law of physical nature not yet known, or to the unknown presence of the conditions necessary for producing it according to some known law. Supposing even that the event, supposed to be miraculous, does not reach us through the uncertain medium of human testimony, but rests on the direct evidence of our own senses. Even then, so long as there is no direct evidence of its production by divine volition, like that we have from the production of bodily movements by human volitions, so long therefore as the miraculous character of the event is but an inference from the supposed inadequacy of the laws of physical nature to account for it so long will the hypothesis of a natural origin from the phenomenon be entitled to preference over that of supernatural one the commonest principle of sound judgment forbid us to suppose from any effects a cause of which we have absolutely no experience unless all those of which we have experience are ascertained to be absent now, there are a few things of which we have more frequent experience than of physical facts which our knowledge does not enable us to account for, because they depend either on laws which observation, aided by science, has not yet brought to light, or on facts the presence of which in the particular case is unsuspected by us. Accordingly, when we hear of a prodigy, we always, in these modern times, believe that if it really occurred it was neither the work of God nor of a demon, but the consequence of some unknown natural law, or of some hidden fact nor is either of these suppositions precluded when, as in the case of a miracle, properly so called, the wonderful events seem to depend upon the will of a human being. It is always possible that there may be at work some undetected law of nature, which the wonder-worker may have acquired, consciously or unconsciously, the power of calling into action, or that the wonder may have been wrought, as in the truly extraordinary feats of jugglers, by the employment, unperceived by us, of ordinary laws which also need not be a case of voluntary deception or lastly the event may have had no connection with the volition at all but the coincidence between them may be the effect of craft or accident the miracle worker having seemed or affected to produce by his will that which was already about to take place as if one were to command an eclipse of the sun at the moment that one knew by astronomy that an eclipse was on the point of taking place in a case of this description the miracle might be tested by a challenge to repeat it but it is worthy of remark that recorded miracles were seldom or never put to this test no miracle worker seemed ever to have made a practice of raising the dead that and the other most signal of the miraculous operations are reported to have been performed only in one or a few isolated cases which may have been either cunningly selected cases or accidental coincidences there is in short nothing to exclude the supposition that every alleged miracle was due to natural causes and as long as that supposition remains possible no scientific observer and no man of ordinary practical judgment would assume by conjecture a cause which no reason existed for supposing to be real save the necessity of accounting for something which is sufficiently accounted for without it were we to stop here the case against miracles might seem to be complete but on further inspection it will be seen that we cannot from the above considerations conclude absolutely that the miraculous theory of the production of a phenomenon ought to be at once rejected we can conclude only that no extraordinary powers which have ever been alleged to be exercised by any human being over nature can be evidence of miraculous gifts to any one to whom the existence of a supernatural being and his interference in human affairs is not already a vera causa The existence of God cannot possibly be proved by miracles, for unless a god is already recognized, the apparent miracle can always be accounted for on a more probable hypothesis than that of the interference of a being of whose very existence it is supposed to be the sole evidence. Thus far, Hume's argument is conclusive, but it is far from being equally so when the existence of a being who created the present order of nature and therefore may well be thought to have power to modify it. Is accepted as a fact or even as a probability resting on independent evidence once admit a god and the production by his direct volition of an effect which in any case owed its origin to his creative will is no longer a purely arbitrary hypothesis to account for the fact but must be reckoned with as a serious possibility the question then changes its character and the decision of it must now rest upon what is known or reasonably surmised as to the manner of god's government of the universe whether this knowledge or surmise makes it the more probable supposition that the event was brought about by the agencies by which his government is ordinarily carried on or that it is the result of a special and extraordinary interposition of his will in supersession of those ordinary agencies in the first place then assuming as a fact the existence and providence of god the whole of our observation of nature proves to us by incontrovertible evidence that the rule of his government is by means of second causes that all facts or at least all physical facts follow uniformly upon given physical principles and never occur but when the appropriate collection of physical conditions is realized i limit the accession to physical facts in order to leave the case of human volition an open question though indeed i need not do so for if the human will is free it has been left free by the creator and is not controlled by him either through second causes or directly so that not being governed it is not a specimen of his mode of government whatever he does govern he governs by second causes this was not obvious in the infancy of science it was more and more recognized as the processes of nature were more carefully and accurately examined until there now remains no class of phenomena of which it is not positively known save some cases from their obscurity and complication our scientific processes have not yet been able completely to clear up and disentangle and in which therefore the proof that they are governed by natural laws could not in the present state of science be more complete the evidence though merely negative which these circumstances afford that government by second causes is universal is admitted for all except directly religious purposes to be conclusive when either a man of science for scientific or a man of the world for practical purposes inquires into an event he asks himself what is its cause and not has it any natural cause? A man would be laughed at who set down as one of the alternative suppositions that there is no other cause for it than the will of God. Against this weight of negative evidence, we have to set such positive evidence as is produced in attestation of exceptions. In other words, the positive evidence is of miracles. And I have already admitted that this evidence might conceivably have been such as to make the exception equally certain with the rule if we had the direct testimony of our senses to a supernatural fact, it might be as completely authenticated and made certain as any natural one. But we never have. The supernatural character of the fact is always, as I have said, matter of inference and speculation, and the mystery always admits the possibility of a solution not supernatural. To those who already believe in supernatural power, the supernatural hypothesis may appear more probable than the natural one, but only if it accords with what we know or reasonably surmise respecting the way of the supernatural agent now all that we know from the evidence of nature concerning his ways is in harmony with the natural theory and repugnant to the supernatural there is therefore a vast preponderance of probability against a miracle to counterbalance which would require a very extraordinary and indisputable congruity in the supposed miracle and its circumstances with something which we conceive ourselves to know, or to have grounds for believing, with regards to the divine attributes. This extraordinary congruity is supposed to exist when the purpose of the miracle is extremely beneficial to mankind, as when it serves to accredit some highly important belief. The goodness of God, it is supposed, affords a high degree of antecedent probability that he would make an exception to his general rule of government for so excellent a purpose for reasons however which have already been entered into any inference drawn by us from the goodness of god to what he has or has not actually done is to the last degree precarious if we reason directly from god's goodness to positive facts no misery no vice nor crime ought to exist in the world we can see no reason in god's goodness why if he deviated once from the ordinary system of his government in order to do good to man he should not have done so on a hundred other occasions Nor why, if the benefit aimed at by some given deviation, such as the revelation of Christianity, was transcendent and unique, that precious gift should only have been vouchsafed after the lapse of many ages, or why, when it was at last given, the evidence of it should have been left open to so much doubt and difficulty. Let it be remembered also that the goodness of God affords no presumption in favour of a deviation from his general system of government unless the good purpose could not have been attained without deviation if god intended that mankind should receive christianity or any other gift it would have agreed better with all that we know of his government to have made provisions in the scheme of creation for its arising at the appointed time by natural development which let it be added all the knowledge we now possess concerning the history of the human mind tends to the conclusion that it actually did to all these considerations ought to be added the extremely imperfect nature of the testimony itself which we possess for the miracles real or supposed which accompanied the foundation of christianity and of every other revealed religion taken at the best it is the uncross-examined testimony of extremely ignorant people credulous as such usually are honorably credulous when the excellence of the doctrine or just reverence for the teacher makes them eager to believe unaccustomed to draw the line between the perception of sense and what is superinduced upon them by the suggestions of a lively imagination unversed in the difficult art of deciding between appearances and reality and between the natural and the supernatural in times moreover when no one thought it worth while to contradict any alleged miracle because it was the belief of the age that miracles in themselves proved nothing since they could be worked by a lying spirit as well as by the spirit of god such were the witnesses and even of them we do not possess the direct testimony the documents of date long subsequent even on the orthodox theory which contains the only history of those events very often do not even name the supposed eye-witnesses they put down it is but just to admit the best and least absurd of the wonderful stories such multitudes of which were current among the early christians but when they do exceptionally name any of the persons who were the subjects or spectators of the miracle they doubtless draw from tradition and mention those names with which the story was in the popular mind perhaps accidentally connected for whoever has observed the way in which even now a story grows up from some small foundation taking on additional details at every step knows well how from being at first anonymous it gets names attached to it the name of some one by whom perhaps the story has been told being brought into the story itself first as a witness and still later as a party concerned it is also notable and is a very important consideration that stories of miracles only grow up among the ignorant and are adopted if ever by the educated when they have already become the belief of multitudes those which are believed by protestants all originate in ages and nations in which there was hardly any canon of probability and miracles were thought to be among the commonest of all phenomena the catholic church indeed holds as an article of faith that miracles have never ceased and new ones continue to be now and then brought forth and believed even in the present incredulous age yet if in an incredulous generation certainly not among the incredulous portion of it but always among people who in addition to the most childish ignorance have grown up as all do who are educated by the catholic clergy trained in the persuasion that it is the duty to believe and a sin to doubt that it is dangerous to be sceptical about anything which is tended for belief in the name of the true religion and that nothing is so contrary to piety as incredulity but these miracles which no one but a roman catholic and by no means every roman catholic believes rest frequently upon an amount of testimony greatly surpassing that which we possess for any of the early miracles and superior especially in one of the most essential points that in many cases the alleged eye-witnesses are known and we have their story at first hand thus then stands the balance of evidence and respect government of god to be proved by other evidence on the one side the great negative presumption arising from the whole of what the course of nature discloses to us of the divine government as carried on through second causes and by unbearable sequences of physical effects upon constant antecedents on the other side a few exceptional instances attested by evidence not of a character to warrant belief in any facts in the smallest degree unusual or improbable the eye-witnesses in most cases unknown and none competent by character or education to scrutinize the real nature of the appearances which they may have seen and moved moreover by a union of the strongest motives which can inspire human beings to persuade first themselves and then others that what they had seen was a miracle note st paul the only known exception to the ignorance and want of education of the first generation of christians attests no miracle but that of his own conversion which of all the miracles of the New Testament is the one which admits of the easiest explanation from natural causes. The facts, too, even if faithfully reported, are never incompatible with the supposition that they were either mere coincidences, or were produced by natural means, even when no specific conjecture can be made as to those means which in general it can the conclusion i draw is that miracles have no claim whatever to the character of historical facts and are wholly invalid as evidences of any revelation what can be said with truth and on the side of miracles amounts only to this considering that the order of nature affords some evidence of the reality of a creator and of his bearing good will to his creatures though not of it being his sole prompter of his conduct towards them considering again that all the evidence of his existence is evidence also that he is not all-powerful and considering that in our ignorance of the limits of his power we cannot positively decide that he was able to provide for us by the original plan of creation all the good which it entered into his intentions to bestow upon us or even to bestow any part of it at any earlier period than that at which we actually received it considering these things when we consider further that a gift extremely precious came to us which though facilitated was not apparently necessitated by what had gone before but was due as far as appearances go to the peculiar mental and moral endowments of one man and that man openly proclaimed that it did not come from himself but from god through him then we are entitled to say that there is nothing so inherently impossible or absolutely incredible in the supposition as to preclude any one from hoping that it may perhaps be true i say from hoping i go no further i cannot attach any evidentiary value to the testimony even of christ on such a subject since he is never said to have declared any evidence of his mission unless his own interpretations of the prophecies be so considered except internal conviction and everybody knows that in pre-scientific times men always supposed that any unusual faculty which came to them they knew not how were an inspiration from god the best men Always being the readiest to ascribe any honorable peculiarity in themselves to that higher source rather than their own merits. End of Theism Section eight Recording by Sunny Shields Doha State of Qatar june twenty eleven